Shared parenting does make it easy. I'm your host, Chris Batchelor, and this is the Parent Time Podcast. Parent Time Podcast is presented by National Parents Organization, a national nonprofit who is working hard to bring shared parenting nationwide. Hi, everyone. My name is Chris with National Parents Organization, and today I'm here with Brian Vandiver. He's with the Arkansas Advocates for Parental Equality, and they're out of Arkansas, and they recently just got the Arkansas law passed, and we're coming up actually on the one-year anniversary, so it wasn't that recent, uh, but we're here to talk today about the effect of the law and how things have changed in Arkansas since they have enacted shared parenting. So, Brian, thanks uh, for coming on today. We're really excited to have you and and talk about how shared parenting is really helping uh, parents and children out in Arkansas. My pleasure, Chris. So tell us a little bit. I mean, the, the law was passed almost a year ago. You know, what happened right after the law passed and, and what's changed, you know, since the law passing to now? Sure. So for those watching, uh, last year we passed in Arkansas what we call Act 604. And it was a monumental earth-shattering act that we passed in Arkansas that did a lot towards uh, promoting shared parenting. Uh, One of the biggest aspects of it is it changed the burden of proof so that to deviate from 50-50 joint custody, uh, the judges have to find that uh, it is in the best interest of the child not to award that by clear and convincing evidence which is a huge shift from the standard of preponderance of evidence that is most often used. Yeah, clear and convincing, it's, it's really the top level of evidence, isn't it? Well, for civil courts, it is. Obviously, in criminal courts, you have beyond reasonable doubt. But for, for any kind of civil litigation, generally, that is going to be the, the toughest burden of proof that you have. And, and it's, you know, it's not uncommon to have that burden of proof where you protect fundamental rights fundamental interest, like the rights of children and the rights of parents to engage in that relationship. And and you were obviously a pivotal part of getting this law passed. What what was that experience like? I mean, was there was there a lot of resistance like there are in a lot of other states from from advocate groups, you know, like the the, you know, the bar associations, that sort of thing? You know, what was it like getting the law passed there in Arkansas? Yeah, obviously we had opposition from the judges, from the Bar Association. Uh, We did have some, a few, a handful of family lawyers join us and stand up and do the right thing and say that this is needed. We need this change. Uh, But those are primarily um, the opposition that that we saw and and that you see in other states. And it was a battle. I mean, we, we tried to engage in a conversation to to see if we could find common ground. Uh, but at the end of the day, they they absolutely were opposed to any type of rebuttable presumption. And uh, that was our goal, was to pass a rebuttable presumption of 50-50 shared parenting. Uh, and so we knew, uh, we believed very strongly that we had the votes to do it. Uh, and there was some history uh, in Arkansas that kind of, I think, poured gasoline on the fire, so to speak, with motivating legislators to say, we need to do this in Arkansas. So, you know, you had a lot of resistance getting the law passed from from judges and lawyers. What are they saying now that the law's been out there for a year? Are they advocates for it or, or are they still against it? 
You know, it's interesting. I've had several judges uh, and attorneys, family law attorneys, who privately have told me uh, we're glad that this happened. This was needed. Uh, and it's and it's kind of like they're scared to talk about it. They're scared to support it because they know there's such a, a resistance against it. But there are those that that will will say, no, this is a good thing. Uh, we've had parents who have contacted our organization who have absolutely said, if not for the new law, uh, I may not have had a 50-50 result. Um, and, and so it is having a positive impact in our courts. I've had lawyers tell me it, it has absolutely changed the dynamic of not only litigation, but settlement negotiation and mediation, uh, which is a, a huge aspect of most cases because uh, for, the, for those that may not know, most cases don't go to trial. 90% of these types of cases settle. And so when you change the dynamic of the settlement and you change the terms of what's being negotiated from the outset, you really put both parents in a, in a more equal standing. Um, and that, that was you know, obviously one of our goals. Uh, and then uh, we've had judges who have, have told me, uh, look, this makes my job easier because I know I have a, a true presumption. I, I know I have a starting point uh, and they have to come with real evidence before I deviate from that. And, and so from that aspect, uh, those judges who are uh, aligned with, with that type of thinking, I think are very supportive. Now, there are some holdouts across the state, um, and for whatever reason, they, they think that they uh, need to have the discretion and, and can't be told what to do by the legislature and things like that. But I think at the end of the day, the, the law is the law. They have to apply it. So it sounds like the law has really reduced a lot of conflict in, in you know litigation and settlements across the state. Um, have you heard any specific examples of that or have, have parents told you how much money they've saved for for being able to get this over with quickly? Yeah, I don't know that we'll ever have any hard numbers on that, but we have definitely heard reports that uh, settlement has been easier, uh, that uh, resolution has been easier as, as a result of the law. And the sh I would say that the shift has uh, the, the shift has gone from uh, litigation over petty grievances to maybe litigation over true issues that might really affect the, the best interest of the child. And so those are the cases that absolutely, you know, should be litigated. If, if there is an unfit parent involved, then that needs to be examined. Um, so we now the, the con the converse of that is we believe we may have seen an uptick in uh, domestic violence allegations. Uh, whether those are true or are unfounded, um, you know, those are for the courts to determine. But that, I think, is problematic, certainly if they're unfounded, false allegations to try to get around our clear and convincing standard. Because if they can prove that there's a pattern of uh, physical abuse, domestic violence, then that's one of the exceptions to our clear and convincing burden of proof. Yeah, oftentimes we hear about that being called the silver bullet in, in a you know in a divorce case where somebody accuses the other of domestic violence, uh, but in this case they would still have to prove that there was domestic violence, right? And I think a lot of times the allegations are made, the proof isn't available, and the issue is dropped. 
That's right. I mean, it still has to be proven that there's a, a pattern of, of that abuse by the preponderance of evidence to, to get out of the clear and convincing standard burden of proof. But, um, you know, you hate for uh, litigants and, and attorneys, especially to, to throw false allegations around. And so I think, you know, it, that's one area we may look at in the future. You can always improve, you know, right? And you can always, there's always areas of improvement work to be done. And so we're going to look at what West Virginia did and some other states have done uh, to look at their legislation and the wording to really address, I think, false allegations of abuse. Yeah, but once somebody makes false allegations, I think it really takes the credibility away from from them with the judge, right? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, if it's proven to be false, um, you know, that's, I think it really hurts that parent in the long run. And we've seen, you know, I've, I've, I've not only seen that, but I've heard that in cases in Arkansas where you have allegations, false allegations of abuse, and that, you know, turns out to be um, you know, disadvantageous uh, to the, the litigant making those allegations. It always hurts or always helps to uh, tell the truth in court, right? Yeah, for the most part, it does. Uh, but it's it's just shocking what is allowed in family courts still to this day. Now, I mean, I, I'll admit it, we have a lot of good young family uh, court judges in Arkansas now that we've uh, actually been involved and helped to elect. And I'm proud of the work they're doing. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, you still have some judges that are from another era. And they, whatever the law says, whatever you try to do to convince them of the social science behind it, they are going to be opposed to shared parenting. And um, those are the ones that we have to try to replace. And so we, we try to target those judges with judges that are of a more modern mind of shared parenting, blended families, and understand that that, that is the new norm. Yeah, we've heard reports in uh, in Kentucky where I, I've heard where judges aren't always applying the law um, as it is supposed to be applied. So, what do families do in that case when when a judge you know basically ignores the shared parenting law? It's it's tough because in that situation, you're really your only avenue as a litigant is to appeal. Um, you know, certainly there's a judicial ethics committee that litigants can file a complaint with. Um, you know, we, we are actually examining whether or not some of the family court judges that testified against our law that was then Senate Bill 18 and now is Act 604, whether they should be recusing in these types of cases because of their um, bias in advance of it being passed. So those types of actions, I think, are, you know, things that parents can do uh, in other states, certainly if, if there are uh, these types of laws, shared parenting laws, and you have had judges make public statements against it, then raise that as a reason to have that judge recuse in your case. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting uh, kind of rabbit hole to go down because, uh, you know, when I looked up the ethics of judges and lawyers testifying, either for or against, uh, you know, these types of laws, what the thing that I found out was they're really not supposed to have an opinion. Um, they're supposed to just uh, make the committees aware or, or the legislator aware of maybe the effects that it would have. 
but oftentimes right. they do testify with either a pro, you know, usually an against opinion. Uh, and so that, that's ethically questionable right there in itself. And, and um, I think the legislators need to be um, aware of that. Well, certainly in Arkansas, our, our legislators are aware of it and uh, we are examining it closely. And um, I can tell you that, um, you know, that's something that we're going to have a, a, a microscope on because, you know, like you said, the, the judicial canons, the judicial ethics rules uh, certainly would allow judges to come and testify on an informational purpose only. But then to, to take that where they are, they are taking a position against a, a bill or for example, maybe in like Ohio, where the judicial, um, the, the judge's counsel is actually writing a, a competing bill to compete against um, House Bill, I think it's 508. So you have judges actively opposed to legislation. And, and you know, you get into questions of separation of, of powers, what is the proper role of the judiciary, um, and is, is it for them to be lobbying for certain laws uh, that they are then going to be charged with judging and, and implementing? I think that crosses some ethical lines. It, it definitely does, and uh, it has the potential to be disastrous if uh, it's the fox guarding the hen house, if you will. Um, so what's next for Arkansas? You're, you mentioned you were going to work on um, some of the uh, domestic violence, false allegations, uh, issues. Uh, are there any other things that you're looking at working on uh, with the laws in the state? We are. We're going to. Uh, we're coming up with a to-do list uh, for 2023. Our legislature meets uh, every other year for uh, the main session, and so coming up in 2023, we're going to have a to-do list to improve our uh, custody law um, and our child support laws as well, because. Um, obviously, we're grateful that M MPO recognized us uh, as an A state on our um, shared parenting custody laws. Uh, we've got an F rating on our child support shared parenting laws. And that dichotomy is something we're going to look at fixing because you can't, I mean, on the one hand, we're, we're a great state for shared parenting and joint custody. But then that dynamic and how it plays out with the child support is terribly egregious um, for joint custody cases uh, because there's really no mandatory consideration for shared parenting time. It's up to, just up to the judge's discretion. So we're going to you know, examine that uh, and some other things that we think are areas for improvement. Well, it sounds like you guys have come a long way in your, your laws, but you still have a long way to go, and we certainly wish you the best. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about uh, in the interview? Well, we're just uh, honored to be on today. We're celebrating, you know, coming up on uh, the one-year anniversary of Act 604. We just want to make our Kansans aware of it, make uh, those around the country aware of it, and for Arkansas to really be uh, a leading example around the, around the country for shared parenting and joint custody. And certainly if anyone has any questions, please reach out to us, uh, Arkansas Advocate, Advocates for Parental Equality. Uh, I'm honored to, to be a part of that group along with Patrick Fraley and his wife, Gina, who founded the group and have done monumental efforts to uh, get Act 604 passed in Arkansas. We had, uh, and then obviously wanna say, um, 
thank you again to Senator Alan Clark and Representative Jimmy Gazaway, both of which were our lead sponsors in the Senate and House. And without them, we wouldn't have been able to get this done. So it was kind of the, the perfect storm, the perfect team coming together in Arkansas. And we're really proud of the work we did. That's fantastic. And where can people find you online? Is there a Facebook page, website? Yes, we have a Facebook page and a website. Uh, just uh, Google Arkansas Advocates for Parental Equality. Uh, find us on Facebook. We post pretty regularly there about um, mostly Arkansas issues, but national issues as well and shared parenting. And um, be honored to interact with anyone who's looking for advice uh, on trying to accomplish something similar in another state. That's fantastic. And we'll definitely put links to those uh, website and the Facebook page in the show notes so people can find those easily. And uh, well, Brian, thank you so much for coming on today and good luck in Arkansas. You guys have quite a ways to go, but you've made some amazing progress and uh, we congratulate you on that. And we're so happy for children's and families in Arkansas. It's been uh, a great win for them. And we hope that you continue to work so they can continue to see the benefits of, uh, of how family law can change. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate you very much. All right. Thank you, Brian. Now that was recorded on video. So if you want to go ahead and watch the video, you can find the link in the show notes. It's on YouTube. And if you have any questions, you can contact National Parents Organization at sharedparenting.org. Don't forget to like National Parents Organization on social media. Just go ahead and do a Facebook search for National Parents Organization and smash the like button. You're also going to find several Facebook pages for different state chapters, so go ahead and like those pages as well. And don't forget, you can also follow National Parents Organization on Twitter or LinkedIn. The links to those social media sites are on the sharedparenting.org website. If you're passionate about shared parenting, the best thing you can do is get involved. And the best way to do that is by contacting your state chapter. If you head over to the sharedparenting.org website, you can find the links to your state chapter and then contact them directly to take action and volunteer. We could also use your help with donations. National Parents Organization is a nationally recognized nonprofit registered in Massachusetts. To donate, visit sharedparenting.org and click the Take Action and then Donate. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Tell us what you think on social media or by going to the sharedparenting.org website and sending us a message. Fill out that contact form and let us know what you think. We'd love to hear about what you think about the show or what you want to hear on the show, those sorts of things. So go ahead and, and send us a message. Until the next episode, I'm your host, Chris Batchelor. Thanks for listening, and together we can help bring shared parenting nationwide. So